Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hi, everyone. I am thrilled to introduce you to our guest this week, Benjamin Watson. He is a former football tight end. He played for the Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens, New Orleans Saints, and most recently, the New England Patriots. He even won the 2005 Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's hope that our Philly listeners aren't turning off the podcast at this point. (laughs) In 2018, he was one of three finalists to receive the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award by the NFL Network. And throughout this podcast, you'll understand why he might be considered Man of the Year. So you may be wondering why we have a football player on. There's actually more to Benjamin's story than just sports. He has been a very outspoken pro-life advocate and activist. His beliefs are rooted in faith and influenced by his race, not to mention he and his wife have seven children. I can't think of a better reason why you would be pro-life than to have seven children. (laughs) But he also authored a book in 2015 after the Ferguson riots called under our skin, getting real about race and getting free from the fears and frustrations that divide us. He was a featured speaker at the 2017 March for Life, and then he produced a documentary that presented both sides of the abortion debate that featured prominent voices like Ben Carson and Alveda King, titled Divided Hearts of America, that was recently released on Salem Now. So you've been quite busy. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, kid, kids will keep you busy, as you well know. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so let's well, start from the beginning here. And how did you become interested in the pro-life cause? Uh, well, uh, Kirsten, that's, um, that's always a question that I get. And, and I can't name a time when I decided, hey, you know, I want to be pro-life. Um, for mm-hmm. me, growing up in our household, our household was about preserving life. And that life started in conception and it ended whenever uh, the Lord moved you on um, and you left this earth. And so for, for us, it never was kind of a title of being pro-life. Um, I saw it embodied by my parents, the way they loved people, the way they, they served um, the Lord, the way that they um, cared about you know people, no matter their background and different capacities. Um, and, and so for, for me, this is a justice issue. And um, the Bible talks a lot about justice, talks about justice and righteousness. Um, throughout scripture our family verses micah 6 8 to do justice to uh, love mercy to walk humbly and so for me anytime there's a vulnerable population or a population that is um, abused in some way whether that be uh, domestic violence whether it be uh, racial injustice historically and in the present uh, whether it be this issue of life in the womb a life that is unable to defend his or herself uh, whether it be mothers that are in crisis or fathers that um, are in crisis as families um, whether it be the persecuted church. Um, To me, these are all justice issues, um, trafficking, that we should all kind of lump into the same bucket for me. And so it's not just about being pro-life in this respect. To me, it's about being pro-life in many different issues because I think they're all connected. Yeah, that's so good. Um, So what has it been like to be outspoken on such a controversial issue? I mean, you, you played football and that would be considered the secular world. So what was it like having those conversations with your teammates and then deciding to 
make a huge public stance about it? Um, you know, football is, is, is an occupation like anything else. We, we go to work, we clock in, we get paid, we go home. Um, we pay taxes. Uh, we complain about our jobs. We have good <laughs> days at work. We have bad days at work. Um, you know, you'd be surprised, man, the similarities, even though it's obviously professional sports, which is, um, you know, the top less than 1% of, of athletes are able to, to make it to that level. And obviously there's an entertainment part of it. But, you know, no matter what occupation you're in, it is in essence secular. And mm. you're going to find people with varying views on this issue specifically. Um, this issue uh, brings a lot of emotion as well as it should. Anytime you're talking about life issues, um, there should be emotion behind it. People have been hurt in different ways. Uh, people are bearing the scars within themselves mm -hmm. from decisions they made or decisions about them or, you know, th this, it's, this, there's a political aspect of this. Um, you know, th th this is one of those issues, but it's amazing how, especially in a locker room, we seem to give each other the grace that people on the outside don't give each other because we have personal relationships with the men in that locker room. And many times with the, the women connected to the men in the locker room um, with the wives network, girlfriends, that sort of thing, we're able to have conversations that you may never have. Um, my assumption would be in other workplaces because of the nature of our work. Uh, and so when we talk about these types of issues, whether it be, you know, abortion clearly or race or anything we all have our points of view but we're able to to understand or at least listen to that person's story listen to the why behind what they believe and still value that person's humanity um even if even if we disagree with them um and and, and even in football there are plenty of guys who um will consider themselves pro-life or consider themselves to be um you know people who want to stand uh for this issue specifically there are people who it's not even on their radar and there are people who are on the other side just like anywhere else we might go yeah that's a great piece of advice you know we are called to love all people no matter what so just because they may not agree with us doesn't mean that we can't be good people to them yeah, and we so, we've had this conversation too and in, in other episodes about how important it is to have a relationship with people mm -hmm. when you have these before you have these conversations and i think you you highlighted that and what you just said you had relationship with these people first and then you had the conversations about life mm -hmm. of course and it doesn't mean that you have to um you know it doesn't mean you have to sit or be quiet about your convictions it does mean that you should be able to explain your 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 position you know we should always have an answer for the hope that we have within us mm -hmm. um, but we need to deliver that with grace um with compassion and so it's not that we should ever be afraid to engage in a, in a situation or, or, or an issue that is as divisive as this is, um, polarizing as this issue is, but, but we do so with an end goal. And our end goal is not simply to win an argument. Our end goal is so that lives be saved, most importantly, that people's uh, stories and questions be heard. Um, and, and so that, that's how we should, I believe, um, address this most important issue uh, of our day. I mean, because this is, you know, you look back over the last 50 years, um, you know, th this, at this moment right here, is as intense as it ever has been when it comes to the issue of abortion and abortion rights. Well, this makes a great segue into my next point here, and that was in 2014, you made headlines because of a very emotional and truthful Facebook post 
And this was in response to the unrest in Ferguson, Missouri, after Michael Brown was shot and killed by a police officer. You expressed your anger, confusion, and sadness about this injustice and how it was happening so frequently. So you expressed your anger, confusion, and sadness about these injustices happening so frequently, but also because of the rioting and looting. However, at the end, you give your hope, and I'll read an excerpt of that post. So I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus and with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. So can you give us a little bit of insight into your thoughts during that time and how you feel now that, again, we're having these discussions on race and how we can go from here forward? Uh, the gospel is, is the hope that um, mankind has for, for all of our ills. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we won't realize that on this earth. Um, we won't realize that until we get to glory. Um, but ultimately, the gospel has the cure um, for sin. And everything that we see that is um, a bad outcome, whether that's racism, whether we're talking about the abortion issue, um, whether that's uh, lying or theft, those are all manifestations of sin. And so ultimately to deal with the root issue, the root cause of something like racism is to deal with the sin that is racism. The blood of Christ covers that sin, forgives that sin, um, and cleanses us from that sin and all unrighteousness, scripture says. And so we have to address that for a holistic approach when it comes to addressing the sin of racism. There needs to be repentance. With that, there needs to be a forgiveness that God provides. There needs to be turning away and identifying um, what we're harboring inside of our hearts. And so the gospel is the hope. Um, if we're simply hoping that we can legislate, that we can um, create uh, uh, equality and equity, all those things are good and they're needed, but ultimately that's not the entire answer. Mm -hmm. The danger, however, is to think that it's only one or the other. And while the gospel is what the, the ultimate solution in this world, in America, we do have to address inequities. We do have to address uh, the racial wealth gap. We do have to address the criminal legal system. We do have to address the education system. We do have to address all those sorts of things because we live in a republic that should advocate for liberty and justice for all people. So we have to do that. But as believers, we also know that even if we do all those things, we will be equitable on our way to internal separation from God. Mm -hmm. And ultimately we know that this time on, on this earth is very short compared to eternity. And so our, our overarching goal is always to address the physical yes Address those inequities, yes, that's a must because faith without works is dead. But we also address the heart of man and the soul of man and that is wicked according to scripture and needs to be addressed, the sin needs to be addressed through the blood of Christ. So um, I still feel the same way. Um, even looking at where we are now, I remember when I wrote that post, I was sitting literally in a Target parking lot 
My wife was going to get some stuff. I had all the kids in the car. Um, we had left a charity event. She was going to get some things for a homeless couple. And I was sitting there on my phone, on my notes app, like just writing away and was scared to press send because um, I represent my team, which was the New Orleans Saints. I represent my teammates. I represent my family. I represent the Lord. Um, I, I represent so many people um, when it came to talking about race and faith and kind of politics a little bit but not really all yeah. the things that we're not supposed to talk about <laughs> with that one post i was talking about those things and so i hesitated to push to press sin um but the amazing thing is that it resonated with so many people i had people that didn't even uh, that aren't aren't christians but they appreciated the fact that you know we need to be honest with the different emotions that we have when it comes to watching what we've seen um not only back then but what we've seen this summer um uh, America has continued to struggle with the race thing, um, and, and and quite honestly, it's because we've had a hard time ever dealing with it and confronting it, and we've allowed it to linger on, and so we keep yeah. kind of coming back cyclically to the same place. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to get so disheartened by, you know, the state of, the, of racial relations or the presidential uh, election coming up, and then, like, we have the abortion debate, and it's so easy to lose track of what's most important, and that is like what you said, our, our saving grace through Jesus's Christ's life. And so it's just a great reminder for people. It is, you know, it's important that we, that we remember our, our mission mm -hmm. for those that are believers. Uh, we, are, we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We are citizens of heaven, although we reside on earth. And because of that, we have an eternal perspective. Also because of that, we give our best efforts to, to the country and the people that God is, the places mm -hmm. where God has placed us. It is not by accident that we're sitting here in the United States in 2020. If we believe that, that God could raise Jesus from the dead, we know that he foresaw us being here. We know that he has us here for specific purposes. Mm -hmm. um, we understand that we need to live in that and we need to do our very, very best to bring a, an equal just society and, and the correct injustice, which is actually the effects of sin on the world. That's what injustice is. It's, it's when the, the, the purpose of relationships or of people are messed up because sin enters, enters the world. We're supposed to correct those things. Mm -hmm. But we also have to realize that, you know what? We can, we're not gonna be able to fix everything and no politician, no politics, no country has ever been perfect. Um, and so we, so we do our very best. There's a verse in Psalm 16 that says, I've continually set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Mm -hmm. And we're very, very shaken right now in a lot of respects, whether it be a pandemic with COVID-19, people passing away, people being sick. You talk about economics, the fallout from that has been um, tremendous with people losing jobs, um, struggling in different ways. You mentioned the election cycle has us shaken. Um, you know, the, the, the life issue, the sanctity of life has a shaken and race, the race issue has a shaken. There's so many things right now that are in flux mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, it's important that we kind of bring it back yeah. to truth and don't allow ourselves to be blown left and right um, by the prevailing winds of culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. So I had the privilege of attending the pre-screening of your docu documentary called Divided Hearts of America. It was phenomenal. I mean, by the end of the documentary, there wasn't a dry eye. Luckily, I remembered wow. to bring my tissues. 
but it was so good. And for our listeners, if you're listening now, pause this episode, go to Salem now and purchase the movie. It was that good. You don't, you don't even have to subscribe to anything. You, it's just a one time deal. So that's, that's a plus. What's the name um, of it again? It's called Divided Hearts of America. Perfect. Yeah. So you chose in this documentary to feature both pro-life and pro-choice voices. And I think when, when you're part of a movement like we are, it's so easy to get lost in our own messaging and we forget to have real conversations with people on the other side. And so you brought that to us, which was awesome. Um, the documentary does a great job of asking hard questions and shedding light on some of the untold stories of abortion, like perspective from a former abortionist and the perspective from women who, who got abortions, but then later changed their mind because of the experiences they had. So can you give us an overview of the film and um, just that whole process of, of making a documentary and, and seeing it come to fruition? Definitely. Yeah, Divided Hearts of America. Um, it, people say, so you decide that, you know, with your first film project, you want to talk about abortion of all things. <laughs> I picked a heck of a, a topic, right? Um, but quite honestly, I felt like this was, it just came together in a way that um, was out of my control. And I was asked about being a part of this. And, you know, it, it just linked up with kind of my wife and I's desire at the time. Um, and I really enjoyed the journey of figuring out, uh, in light of so many different uh, laws that have been passed uh, on both the liberal and conservative side, uh, in light of, you know, just this tension that we can feel and that we can see, um, that we can witness, you know, when we watch different debates about this issue, uh, there, there's an emotional ramping up when it comes to the issue of abortion. And my hope was simply to hear, you know, what is abortion? How has it affected the, our country? Where do we go from here if we don't change? Um, what are some of our blind spots? Uh, what does the other side, no matter what your side is, what does the other side say? How do they feel? Can we see the humanity in them? And can we have a little bit of empathy, even though we have convictions about right and wrong? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, speaking with people that were legislators on the other side, people who uh, were kind of in the middle, you realize that there's a lot of complexity and nuance in the pro-life and pro-choice camps. Um, I, I rarely found a person who was entirely pro-life, meaning, you know, all the way mm -hmm. to the right. And I really didn't find anybody that was all the way to the left. There seemed to be a lot of um, nuance and complexity in there, but we're not afforded the ability to see that because we feel like we're forced into one camp or the other and never, ever come into the middle ground to have a conversation. So that's what Divide Hearts of America is. It's a conversation. My hope is that people leave um, from watching the film uh, thinking in some way differently about the de abortion debate. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly did. I mean, I, I'm i pro-life all the way, but I loved hearing the different perspectives because we just don't get that all the time. Mm. Now, now, I asked you a question at the end of the screening, and your answer was so good. I'd, I'd love for you to repeat it here. But, I don't know if I can remember it. You should have taped it. <laughs> I'm sure you have the same answer. I'll let you know if it's different. <laughs> um, so the pro-life movement has done a pretty good job, in my opinion, of pointing out the systemic racism within the abortion industry. So, for instance, 
we know that Planned Parenthood sets up shop in black communities. And this was all by design from Margaret Sanger, the founder, who, who subscribed to eugenics and wanted to erase the black population. Um, and so when I look at the pro-life movement, I see a lot of white people. And so we're missing something. We're, 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 I'm just wondering, how do we bridge that divide between the white community and the black community, but specifically in the pro-life movement? Yeah, I do remember you asking that question. Um, I, I think that, that the way we look at it uh, can't, be, can't be divorced from America in general. And, and we are still a very largely divided society. Um, our, our neighborhoods are very uh, ethnically homogeneous. And that's not that's not by accident. That was by that was by design, um, through through policy, and, and so you know it, it was said in the '60s that the most segregated hour um, of the week is is Sunday. Hmm. And when you look at our churches, um, our churches are largely segregated. Now, obviously, hmm. black people only make up 13% of the population. White people, 60 something. So there are going to be pockets of places where it's impossible to have a black person in your church. It's just physically impossible. There's not one for hundreds of miles. So I'm not talking about that situation, but I'm talking about the sentiment of we largely operate um, in in different circles. And so when it comes to the pro-life movement, um, quote unquote, uh, it's no surprise that it's that way as well. Mm -hmm. um, the ironic thing is that the black community is, is as, if not historically, more pro-life in the sense of preserving unborn life than their white counterparts though they may not call themselves pro-life. The pro-life terminology, and I talk about this in the film a little bit, um, didn't come around until the 80s. And so that, that was the, there was some politics there as well as to, okay, this is what we're gonna label this group of people pro-life, but the sentiment has been around for a very long time. And so it's, it's, part of it is understanding that simply because someone doesn't call themselves pro-life does not mean they don't agree with the ideology of being pro-life. And, and what, when you say pro-life, what that actually means. Um, it's also important to realize that in today's political landscape, pro-life comes along with certain candidates, mm -hmm. certain policy, um, certain slogans, uh, certain, there's all this stuff in a pro-life bucket that again, I'm talking about in generalities because there's no monolith when it comes to people. Just we just talked about that, but generally, a lot of Black Americans don't identify with a lot of the other things that are in the pro-life bucket. So part of bridging the gap is number one, understanding that there may not be as big a gap as you think there is, because there are a lot of commonalities there, but also being able to identify what are the things that are keeping us apart, and then there's a piece of listening. You know, the pro-life community it, it needs to listen to what are the things that make, you know, people that kind of agree with us here but don't identify as pro-life, what, what are the things that make them uncomfortable? How do we address those things? How do we uh, come together? What are, what are some events that we can invite other people to? Where, where can we, you know, I know a lot of pastors, especially when it comes to this race, race issue, are, are intentionally reaching out across the railroad track, so to speak, to have you know, invite pastors from other churches to come into their pulpit, kind of having this cross-cultural cross experiences. The same can be done in the pro-life community. 
we can have these type of experience, these type of listening sessions, these times of I I intentional um, communication with each other on, on the places where we can come together. Um, and so it's a larger issue than just the pro-life thing. Um, it's kind of a systemic thing when it comes to America and the black and white community, but we can learn a lot from how we approach it and apply that to the pro to this pro-life question that you just asked. Mm -hmm. That's good. And, you know, the key word that you said there is listening. Uh, we have a listening problem these days. So, yeah, I think we, got, we got one mouth. That, as your mom always says, you got one mouth in two years. Yeah. <laughs> At least my mom always said it. <laughs> oh, mine did too. Yeah. She made sure I heard something if if I didn't hear it the first time. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's a hearts and minds thing. And I think that that's why, you know, our end goal should be cultivating a culture of life. And when we do that, it will touch on all these different things. You can't just add a piece of legislation pass it and all our problems will disappear. It's a, it's a, it's a lot harder than that. Um, but Benjamin, where can our listeners go to watch your documentary? Well, they can go to SalemNow.com. We are streaming digitally uh, since last, for the last couple of weeks, last week or so. We'll be there for eight weeks um, on SalemNow.com. Just go on there and scroll down a little bit and you will see Divide Hearts of America and you can download, purchase and download the movie there and watch it. So um, I've gotten great feedback so far. Uh, again, this was... I really just wanted to um, follow the history of where we are, how we got here, and, mm -hmm. and I really just bring some clarity to the abortion debate and some civility. Mm -hmm. How can our listeners follow your efforts and your causes? Uh, well, our website is thewatson7.com, thewatson7.com. Interestingly enough, we have seven children but we actually got that domain name when we only had five children and two adults. So we were still a family of seven, but then we looked up and had twins. So now it's, uh, now it's for seven kids. So the Watson7.com, you can go there and find out what we're up to. Um, Twitter uh, at Benjamin S. Watson, Facebook, Benjamin Watson Official, Instagram's Benjamin S. Watson. Um, so all those things, people can go in there and follow me and find out what's going on and send me a message. Alrighty, so as a dad of seven, what is your favorite Disney Channel movie or Disney movie? Well, most recently, <laughs> my favorite movie is uh, Frozen 2. Okay. Now, if you would ask me, like mine back in the day, you know, mm -hmm. I love Lion King. Um, yeah. I mean, my mom, we used to, we used to, you know, Little Mermaid, we used to mm -hmm. watch. All the classics. Um, yeah, of course. You know, Princess and the Frog is kind of more recent. And, you know, Tiana, we lived in New Orleans. So, oh, you know, yeah. Every woman was Tiana for the kids. <laughs> um, but, but I love the music in Frozen 2. I'm not going to lie. It is um, good music. You can catch me actually when we're watching, you can catch me singing it and everybody looks at me, but I can hit the high notes every now and then. <laughs> oh, nice. Maybe next time we have you on. We can <laughs> Now, you're not playing football anymore, but you're still doing football things because I know this because I woke up really early. I think it was over the weekend and I turned on the TV and you were there talking football stuff like, <laughs> on a show. So um, where can people follow your football things? Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of sporadic with that. I'm not... Um an official broadcast or anything like that right now. I'm taking some time, you know, to be home. 
mm -hmm. uh, this year. Maybe that's something for the future. Uh, but every now and then, now and then, you may find me popping up uh, talking about college or the NFL. So um, I don't have a schedule, but you got to keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining the joining us today. This was an excellent conversation, um, and I think we can all take away something from this. Um, gosh, there are so many good things, um, but we'll highlight that uh, over this week. Um, for those listening to this episode, please be sure to share this episode and subscribe. Um, leave us a review if you could as well. You can find us on all the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.